Hello, I'm Ona Merku, and welcome to a special remote recording of Reimagining Capital Projects. Today will be a reflective discussion examining the impact of black swan or unforeseen events on major programs and the lessons we can take from them. And I'm delighted to say I have a full panel of guests for this episode. Neil Broadhead, a partner in PwC's Capital Projects team and the firm's Real Assets Lead. Alpe Shah, a partner in PwC's Risk Analytics Practice and Sean Lynch, who is currently Deputy Supply Chain Director for Hinkley Point C, having been with the project for over seven years. Welcome to you all. And uh, Sean, I'm going to come to you first. There's been a lot of uncertainty of late, uh, from delivery timelines to understanding supply chain networks. Uh, reflecting on the past few months, what are some of the challenges organizations such as yours have been struggling with? The first thing that we've had to face is how do we keep our project moving? Uh, when our supply chain and everybody that works on the project has been disrupted. So we have a critical path. We're hoping to put a dome lift on top of our first reactor at the end of next year. So the key to us is keeping the site moving particularly, uh, but also looking at uh, the exchanges with our supply chain uh, around the whole of the rest of the world. We did see some uh, early impacts uh, as our supply chain is, is global and, and particularly with some bases and factories in China. Uh, but it's still been a significant shock to, to our business. Uh, the scale of the impact on, on, on us, our shareholders, uh, and uh, our supply chain has really been unprecedented and, and something that we are really facing into now to try and manage uh, as best we can. So, Sean, we're, we're currently in July here in 2020, and I guess, ha have you seen some organisations struggle more than others over the last three or four months? Well, as you can imagine, a, a project like Hinkley Point C uh, has a, a wide and varied supply chain. So we have suppliers that are both designing for us. Uh, we have suppliers that are providing services to us. Uh, but we also have suppliers that are manufacturing the equipment that goes together to, to build the power station. So all of those businesses are in different places. They are in a different they're facing into the crisis in a different way both from a geographic point of view and the support and the restrictions that may be applied to them by their uh, home countries. But equally, they're doing different things. It's much easier to work remotely uh, on design packages, for example, than it is to, to weld a valve to a pump. So those, all of these businesses are facing things in, in a different way. And when we look at the supply chain that we manage, we currently have in the order of 300 live tier one contracts uh, spread across the globe. We have something in excess of, of 10,000 tier two suppliers and that multiplies as you go further down the supply chain. So the real challenge for us and th those organizations has been communication and data to ensure that we all have a clear and, and as accurate as possible picture of the challenges that we're all facing together. So just picking up on that point on data, the, the availability of information seems to be pretty key in getting ahead um, of the risks that events such as black swans pose. Um, Neil, taking a broader industry view, are you seeing similar challenges across other major project organizations, for example? Thank you, Aaron. Uh, I, th I think un undoubtedly, yes. And, um, you know, we, we've all come to sort of understand and believe in the security and the resilience of these really sort of complex and interconnected and interlinked and interwoven uh, supply chains. Uh, and of course, that creates sort of complexity around information and data. Um, 
but that point about the sort of security and resilience of those interconnected supply chains has really been tested as a hypothesis, I think, over the last few months and um, has, has caused many organisations, whether they're in the sort of the infrastructure sector or, or otherwise, to ask some really probing and challenging questions around the extent to which organisations really understand their supply chain. Uh, do they understand who they're doing business with? Do they understand how resilient those suppliers are? Where fragilities may exist in supply chain ecosystems? Do you have the data to understand um, uh, that, that ecosystem and the associated sort of risks and resilience? Um, uh, and, and I think that's sort of common across multiple sectors and multiple organisations. Uh, and I think a really interesting point, actually, in this, you know, the, the topic of data and information and assessing resilience in this interconnected world is particularly, you know, you, you make the point with July 2020, you know, some of those supply chains appear resilient at the moment. But of course, they're supported by stimulus uh, and, and sort of broader support mechanisms, which, uh, you know, will, will be withdrawn in the short to medium term. And I think that that's going to create um, new threats and challenges to supply chain integrity on a, on a go forward basis. So picking up on that point, Neil, are there some obvious questions organisations really need to have at the forefront of their minds when they're making decisions around their wider supply chain? Absolutely. Um, and on the face of it, some of those questions are quite basic, um, but maybe historically haven't been asked with the, the level of diligence that uh, they maybe need to be. And, uh, and I think the first of those questions is, who are our critical suppliers? And in turn, who do they rely on? Uh, and, and understanding criticality um, is actually not a particularly straightforward question. Question. There are many sort of many dimensions and facets to that. And, and actually sort of understanding the marketplace more generally is really important to understanding criticality. So, uh, and I know Sean will feel this quite uh, quite in, um, intensely on, on his project. You know, you can have some low value contracts, but it can relate to some really critical componentry with limited replacement options within, within that marketplace. Um, but I'd be, be interested to hear what Alps thinks on, uh, on this topic as well. Thanks, Neil. Um, I, I think that in addition to understanding that there's a supply chain that, that there's also uh, a, a clearly a, a lot of change in the way that that risk is manifesting right and i think the, the current pandemic is a is a good example of that um the speed with which we're seeing something like that the pandemic sort of impacts so many supply chains so many geographies across across the world um it has been truly truly a, a, a amazing and i think people have struggled to perhaps keep keep pace with that so there's something around really the pace at which risk risk is hitting everybody um, and being able to sort of be alive and alert and, and, and responsive to that which is really really key um there's also something about contagion so you, you mentioned the the interconnectivity of supply chains to the complexity of supply chains and that interconnectivity is truly global so there are so the, 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 those chains go right around the world and there are uh, points of criticality points of uh, uh, concentration in certain geographic locations on certain transport routes through certain suppliers so really understanding that network that complex network is is, is, is really really important I think that people are really starting to come alive to that with things like the the, the, the pandemic going on at the moment um, the other, the other piece is really around understanding your supply chain through the data you might hold about it. Um, and I think that the, the cadence and the flow of that data is sort of becoming a lot more rapid. And it sort of needs to be because you, you can't wait. You haven't got the luxury to sort of understand the supply chain through sort of uh, 
quarterly or other sort of usual reporting mechanisms, but you really need your finger on the pulse and in times of crisis around understanding how that supply chain is changing, how the uh, the, the, the sort of financial health and otherwise of, of the key suppliers is moving um, and, and being able to sort of turn around the, the information and the MI around that pretty rapidly. So, so those are some of the real, real challenges I think people are facing right now. Yeah, th- thanks, Abish. And I think picking up on some of the points that yourself and Neil have mentioned around risk and some of those key questions that the organisation should be asking themselves. Uh, Sean, is it really a failure of imagination to anticipate an event of this magnitude? I think the scale of what we're all facing, both, both in our business and our personal lives, it, it is something of a magnitude that, that I think, quite frankly, uh, nobody uh, expected. I think it's probably fair to say that across both business uh, and countries, we, we perhaps underestimated the impact uh, what this could have this could have on us personally, and as I say, on on the projects in which we all operate. We we did see some early indications, uh, as I think I think I mentioned earlier, uh, and we started putting plans in place. But we probably, to be fair, focused largely on our site. Uh, and put in place uh, items and actions to ensure that we could maintain operations on the site, albeit at a lower level, uh, which we've managed to do throughout the current crisis. But the other thing is really to understand, as we said before, your supply chain. It's about understanding the criticality of each of those suppliers as you face into them at this moment in time. Criticality of suppliers changes through a project, uh, through a life cycle, and as the project moves into different phases. So we worked to identify the critical suppliers that we needed to get much more detailed information on, no matter where they sat within within our supply chain. Uh, but what was quite apparent to us all is, is the impact globally across where we are. As I say, it's fair to say that, that HPC purchases internationally. Uh, our supply chain is, is global. But equally, then, our suppliers that we uh, contract directly with they also buy internationally. The fragmentation that we talked about right at the start of the conversation is not only true with the, the people we contract with, but then the subcontracting throughout the supply chain. So I guess the, the, the key lesson to, to be learned for us is, is, is you need to understand how all parts of your supply chain can be impacted, uh, no matter how small they may be, but they can always be critical to what you're doing And we need always to have an eye on what will happen if something is disrupted. And and that's something that obviously Alpesh talked about earlier as well. Yeah, Alpesh, keen to get your view on this, because I think we we have seen events in the past, but nothing to this magnitude that I can remember. Thanks, Owen. Yeah, I I, I think it's it's fair to say that you, you call it a failure of imagination. I'm not sure how many people might have imagined uh, that the pandemic being as, as impactful as it perhaps has been. Um, but I, I often come back to the fact that, you know, we, we've, we've been here before, and I don't mean necessarily from a pandemic perspective, but I do mean from a supply chain disruption perspective, right? The, the impact of the pandemic isn't necessarily new, even though the, the cause, the pandemic itself may have been. And I think there's a really important lesson to be learned from that, which is when you're thinking about black swan events of this this type, um, it's not necessarily all about trying to guess what those events might be and sort of add them to your risk register so you can put all of the risk management processes you might have as an organization around them. Um, I think it's much more important to think about what are the critical consequences of what might go wrong. 
And if I if I look back a few years, you know, we we had the Icelandic ash cloud uh, issue in Europe, and that pretty much shut down um, the ability for for people to fly a, across a large part of Europe and and actually globally. Um, now you might not have anticipated the Icelandic ash cloud as a or volcanic ash cloud as a as a risk on your risk register. But if flying was critical to your business, then I would argue that you should have been thinking about how resilient your organization was if you couldn't fly. Um, and being able to build out that resilience is really, really important because that means you're ready for the next event, which won't be another ash cloud or it won't be another pandemic in the same way, but it might have the same disruptive uh, impact on your organization. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point, our passion. Um, Neil, just reflecting on that, do do Black Swan events draw attention to some of the lesser known risks that can impact a global or interconnected supply chain? Thanks, Owen. Um, so I, th I think the answer to that can only be yes. I mean, I, I think it forces boards and stakeholders and project leaders to look at their businesses or their projects, programs, portfolios in a in a really different light. And I, and I like the way that sort of Alps refers to sort of un understanding the critical co consequences of, of things going wrong. Uh, and I think that that sort of leads you to a, a, a world where, you know, maybe as project leaders, supply chain leaders, you know, scenario modeling, simulation testing, so you can react rapidly against a plan and, and, and achieve what you might define as sort of first mover advantage becomes increasingly critical. Um, and that, and that in turn, I think, supports a, a sort of a thesis around um, supply chain design and, and some of the sort of the key principles. Um, and, and I think what, you know, the current pandemic has shown us is that, you know, resilience has to be a key sort of design principle in terms of how you are structuring supply chains and making informed trade-offs within some of those um, uh, sort of design parameters. and. You know, if cost or time is really important to you, then you know, might you choose a you know a particular group of suppliers over and above another group of suppliers who may, may be cheaper, but you know have have increasing or increased levels of resilience, um, and that in turn sort of links to you know overall strategy and risk appetite. So I think the you know these issues are so interconnected, but ultimately play back to and we'll come to this later. Sort of plays back to a point about you know integrating your supply chain thinking and design and strategy into an overall risk and value framework um, that really sort of sits at the heart of um, strategic decision making um, within a sort of project or infrastructure development environment. And I, and I think there is a there is a really interesting tension that I'm, I'm sort of starting to observe in many organisations, which is a, you know, increasing desire to build in redundancy and flexibility uh, into supply chains and, and really sort of understand um, uh, you know the cost of building in that additional resilience in the context, of course, a broad of a broader economic environment where you know we're thinking about how do we take cost out, right, and how do how do we drive a cost-based transformation agenda? So the, I think there's some really interesting tensions there, you know, looking at cost-based, but at the same time thinking about the resilience of supply chains and increasing that resilience, um, which comes with an associated cost. I agree, Neil, and I think that resilience tension versus cost reduction is a really interesting point and is relevant both in the delivery environment as well as the more traditional operational environment. Uh, I guess, Alpesh, are there different risk indicators we should be considering when it comes to delivery and operations um, from a black swan 
um, or a anticipation of, a, of an event of this magnitude? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a lot that one can learn about uh, the, the supply chain, its health and the status of the risk or the riskiness in, in, in that supply chain. And you know, Neil's just spoken about uh, some of the value of uh, scenario modeling and, and analysis um, that, that's going to be really helpful and critical to sort of understanding uh, where those risks are. But I think in order to do any of that, what's, what's really, really important is ha having a, a clear sort of underpinning of understanding the sort of the data and the information flows that help you uh, understand what your supply chain is actually doing. Um, you know, the, the, we all know supply chains are getting more and more complex. And with that complexity in, is, a, is a sort of a, an increased complexity in the information and the data that you might need to start capturing. Um, but I think there are a lot of indicators and a lot of analysis that one can already do um, quite readily, I imagine, with the information what, what that is often to hand. So for example, um, mapping out uh, the network of your supply chain to understand where where there are critical points of failure, where there are concentration of risk, either by geography or supplier or, or transport route, for example, um, I think is really, really important. And being able to do that across several different bases, so not just in terms of uh, the, the, the quantum of material perhaps coming through so your supply chain, but the importance of that material to the uh, to, 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 to the project delivery or, or, or key milestones, et cetera, being able to map it all the way through is really, really important, I think, because that helps you prioritize where, where there are risks and, and, and areas you should be focusing on. Um, the, the other thing we often start his, uh, his, get people hearing about is, is, is the financial health of suppliers. So um, it's not uncommon to be looking at things like credit ratings, perhaps, as a really easy publicly available measure of the financial health of your tier one suppliers, potentially some of your tier two suppliers. Um, but I would also argue that, you know, credit ratings in of themselves as a measure are, are, are perhaps a little bit lagging, right? They, they don't get updated as rapidly as the, the way that, for example, the pandemic has impacted so many suppliers of many organizations. Um, and so it's important to, to build around things like credit ratings with a whole host of other metrics one can try and understand that might be a bit more leading, a bit more predictive around uh, what's going on. Um, and, and that might move towards more operational indicators. So things like you know, delivery delays, things like uh, product quality uh, and a host of other factors and data that often exist that starts telling you that something might be going wrong down the road. The moment you've sort of brought all that data together, the more you can start moving from a, a lagging view of the world to more of a leading or a predictive view of what's going on. And that's really going to make a real difference in, in the middle of a crisis. Yeah, Sean, I, I think Alpha's picked up a good few points there around the various different data sets and a risk-based approach. Um, is this something that resonates with you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's it's also important to, to think about the environment in which you uh, operate as a business as well. Uh, I think a lot of great concepts, I guess, in, in, in some of those things, but obviously the, del the delivery of those is what makes them difficult. So when we talk about building in redundancy, we talk about building in flexibility to supply chains or even alternatives, um, in a project environment that is incredibly challenging um, rather than perhaps in an operational business. Um, when you think about a project, it has a finite life. It, it, is, it has a purpose. It is to deliver an output. Uh, and when it's done that, it, it, it's finished. Um, so it's really driven by the right quality at the right price and to be delivered, to, to be delivered on schedule. 
so some of those options are, are very difficult to, to incorporate uh, into what we do. So the real key for us going forward has been that detailed understanding. So as Alpesh said, it's about that up-to-date information that we can have at our fingertips that we can work with our suppliers. So for example, uh, throughout our supply chain, we, we expect all of our suppliers to have uh, a business continuity plan. Now that was pre uh, the current crisis. Uh, that was just part of our generic uh, standard contract modeling uh, process. So with those, we were able to see what the suppliers had in place to manage a disruption, uh, however that, that may manifest itself. What we've also been able to do is we are working with our suppliers is, is to try and share good practice within that area. Some of our suppliers are, are much larger uh, and are experienced at, at these business continuity plans and probably have, have suffered shocks to their, their own supply chains in the past and have, have, have appropriate plans in place. So it's really about then sharing that information across our supply chain so we can have that dialogue. But the critical thing really for us is, is to ensure that we have that transparency it is all about our relationship with those suppliers and understanding how we can play a part in being part of the solution uh, for the problems that they're facing and, and not being a burden because ultimately we need our suppliers. Our suppliers are an absolutely critical part of, of our business and we need to work closely with them to ensure that they're they face into the risks appropriately. We share information that we have that can be shared that of things that are impacting perhaps other suppliers to give some people maybe a head start or a heads up on, on challenges or issues that may be coming their way that they may not have visibility of uh, because of where they sit, uh, their scale uh, and their current operation. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think the, the point around transparency, transparency, particularly around the project size of Hinkley Point C and how complex that supply chain network is, is, is really important. Um, Neil, has the fragmentation of the wider supply chain um, played a role in the industry's response to um, this Black Swan event? Thanks, Ern. So, so my view, uh, absolutely. And I, I've, I've worked in the uh, construction infrastructure marketplace for the last 25 years. And when I first started working for a construction company, um, it was a it was a vertically integrated entity, and uh, if you if you look at the sort of marketplace now, or the supply chain now, uh, it's undoubtedly less vertically integrated than it was 25 years ago, and and that's for a, you know a broad range of issues. I'm sure many listeners to this podcast will understand um, whether that's about sort of UK pipeline or trying to sort of de-risk um, businesses. You know, there is a broad set of market forces that um, influence the way and shape of our market structure in the UK today. So there's many, many more smaller, more fragmented suppliers. And, and you can look at that through some data sets. And I did a very, um, very rough sort of back of the envelope calculation uh, earlier today. And you have to take the top 14, 14 or 15 uh, UK construction companies to equal the largest European construction companies. So that tells you something about sort of market structure. Um, uh, and, and actually overall sort of supply chain capacity, actually, or market capacity. Um, and that, that fragmentation can only create, you know, additional interfaces, which in turn creates additional complexity, um, whether that's in terms of sort of visibility, transparency, influence control. Um, and, and I think that may creates a, a harder um, 
uh, sort of circumstances and, and, and market structure and supply chain structure to navigate through, uh, you know, if you're if you're a client like Sean, to navigate that, you know, that group of suppliers through a, a, a difficult, you know, sort of pandemic type scenario, particularly when you, you know, when you start talking about financial health and liquidity metrics and smaller balance sheets, et cetera, it, it is definitely a, a much more challenging environment in, in my view. And I think one of the things that Sean just touched on actually, is that each of these suppliers is, you know, it's an individual entity. And, um, you know, that really plays to a point. And I know Sean sort of lives and breathes this on a daily basis. It's about having, you know, actually very sort of personal relationships with each of your suppliers and and treating them as individuals because they're all, you know, they're, 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 there's a personal story in every single one of them. And, uh, you know, really investing into their health so they can they can do the right thing by the project is really, really critical. Yeah, a really valid point, Ernie. And I think, Sean, you, you do really live and breathe this in your role at Hinkley Point C. Um, what steps have you taken to give yourself and the organisation greater confidence in the resilience of your supply chain? Um, like, How can we bring together different data sets to, to have a greater visibility and transparency across resilience, I guess? The key for us has been, it's really been a step change. And, and I think often... Uh, uh, you know, what's the phrase, uh, we should never waste a good crisis. Uh, and, and I think what, what this has done has, has shown us whilst we had what would probably have been a traditional and uh, standard approach to understanding our supply chain, the current situation has meant that that, that doesn't work. Uh, I think Alpesh referred to it previously as, as, as some of the published information is a rearview mirror. Uh, and I think that that has been fine under normal circumstances. But where we sit today, that, that just doesn't work. Uh, Organisations that may have had a great credit rating in, in quarter one of this year uh, may be in a very different position today. Uh, so we need to have that more up-to-date information. Uh, so what we've been doing is, is, is working uh, together uh, to build a, a new way of looking at it to try and take the published information, also take more current information that is published through media, that is published through social media, uh, working with our suppliers through sets of questionnaires to get a, a more detailed understanding, which is challenging. You know, in the current environment, suppliers are, are depending on their relationship with you, can be, can be nervous about sharing that level of information. However, that goes back to my point about the transparency and the collaborative working and the safe environment in which we try to, to operate. And then building a model that will allow us to see that data clearly and be uh, directed to management uh, as appropriately, both on trending information. So if we see uh, certain either individual suppliers, types of suppliers, or even suppliers in certain geographies uh, moving in a certain direction, we can start then planning to see what we need to do. Do we need to advance deliveries uh, in, uh, into the UK to secure supply? Uh, and building a number of strategies around trying to ensure that we, we continue to uh, protect the project and ensure that we can deliver on our, on our promises uh, to generate low carbon energy for the UK. Just picking up on that then, Neil, I guess it's all about understanding a supplier's resilience in the short term and going forward. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. And, um, you know, I think Sean sort of touched on an area, of, you know, actually it's about having, uh, you know, maybe it's an overused phrase, but it's about having a trusted relationship with your suppliers as well and sort of understanding their business to a, a, a level of detail that, um, 
you know, may, maybe organisations. I know this isn't the case in Sean's business, but um, you know, where that 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 level of sort of understanding hasn't been understood to to quite the same depth that it needs to be. On the on the point on resilience, though, and sort of becoming more resilient, uh, more resilient, and you know, many organisations are talking about that. Um, I mean, it is quite an interesting topic because it presupposes that you know how resilient you are today, and you have a point of view on how much more resilient you you want to be. Um, and, and, and as a topic, I don't think that is sort of commonly understood or addressed, um, you know, at, at the right level within an organisation. And you know, what's the, what's the sort of the qualitative data point or score um, whereby you describe your resilience level and your target resilience level that that you're you're, you're aspiring to get to? Uh, and, and I think that's a really interesting area for sort of project leaders um, to to really start thinking about in in the same way. That you know, at a at a, at a monthly um, project board meeting, we might talk about cost performance index or schedule performance index as as key performance um, criteria against which a project is sort of monitored and managed. You know, should we also be talking about supply chain resilience in a quantitative basis as well? And that, of course, leads you back to the earlier part of the conversation where we're talking about quantitative data analysis, information, insight, leading to leading you to a point where you can take the right interventions in the interest of the overall health of the project as uh, Sean's, made, Sean's made as a you know, really critical point a few times. Yeah, and you make a really interesting point there around project leaders. And I guess all three of you are project leaders in your own right, in your respective fields in this industry. Um, if you could go back to Christmas 2019, um, what advice or what insight would you share with yourself now based on what you have observed over the last six or seven months? Um, maybe, Neil, to you first. Gosh, uh, yeah, so December 19 feels like a long time ago now, doesn't it? Um, you know, what, 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 a, what a change that we weren't expecting. Um, so uh, for me, it's all about, you know, and Sean's talked about you know, becoming a low-carbon sort of generator of power, and there's a, there's a commercial um uh, sort of imperative there, or, co or commercial sort of sense of purpose, I guess. Um, uh, and I, I, I think, you know, what what this current sort of pandemic has taught us is that supply chain needs to be looked at through a risk and value lens. And uh, I think there really is something about um, defining the target resilience level that uh, project leaders want to get their supply chains to, understanding the leader, the, the levers, and, and the trade offs that um uh can be made to achieve that sort of target state um and i think the the other the other really critical point i think all, all three of us have talked about it is you know do, do you really understand who your critical suppliers are and have you got the you know the right quantified level of contingency and redundancy in that sort of supply chain ecosystem that uh can manage you or, or can sustain you through some kind of black swan event albeit i take the point that um Alps made really, really clearly is that you, you you can't sort of put every possible black swan event into your risk register. Um, you know, it needs a much more informed and nuanced approach. But understanding the consequences is clearly key. Yeah, Sean, and with a Hinkley Point C lens, um, what lessons would you share with yourself? I think it builds quite naturally on, on Neil's comments is 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 the first thing is is to have a real and proper understanding of the full breadth and depth of your supply chain and the criticality of supply chains at uh, suppliers at all levels of that structure uh, it, it's not enough 
to simply have a good relationship with your tier ones. You need to understand uh, at a lower level, and that's a huge task, and that's a huge task. I think what is also needs to underpin that is, is that you need the systems and processes that allow you to flex that on a regular basis. So that may be external uh, inputs that are changing. So the environment in which suppliers are operating has changed, and that then changes their risk profile. It changes their criticality. But equally, to be able to change it from an internal perspective. So as the project develops, the critical path changes and it moves forward. And the, the lens on which you look at your suppliers will change. So I think you need to be able to do both of those things. One is, is, is to understand the changing environment that, that is being faced external to your business. But equally internally, uh, we, we influence our suppliers. Uh, we'd be naive to think that we don't as the project. So really, the, the key for me is, is, is having those two bits of information at your fingertips to allow you to make decisions both pre-procurement, so before award, so we should be understanding the resilience of our suppliers for critical components before that, uh, on a much broader perspective than perhaps we've done historically. Uh, but equally then looking at the environment they operate in once they're actually part of our, our, our integrated supply chain. I would like just to, just to say one other thing is, is, is that whilst we've talked about a lot of the challenges uh, faced our, facing our supply chain, this, this current crisis has created a, a huge opportunity for innovation as well. Uh, and, and a couple of things that just, just have popped into my, my, my head really about when we're talking about this is, is we've now looked at different ways of doing things that we probably wouldn't have done before. So, for example, we are working uh, on using remote inspection of components. So, so being able to use inspectors with, with video head cameras to be able to inspect components uh, around the world. Uh, because travel is difficult, because we can't move people around. Uh, and I think that's going to uh, just grow more and more, and we'll do much more of that as we go forward. And also, really, just probably just to leave one last thing, is, is, is our suppliers have, have achieved great things, even during this crisis. Uh, we, we, we continue to achieve our, our milestones on the project. Uh, we, we poured the common raft for Unit 2 uh, at the end of June, which was a milestone that was set back in 2013. Uh, and that was done 20% uh, faster than, than, than Unit 1 and, and with less people because of the social distancing and restrictions that we had to place on site. So, so whilst there's lots of things we need to do, I, I think it is really driving innovation and challenging some of the ways that we've, uh, we've conducted ourselves with our suppliers in the past. Yeah, Sean, I think that's all really good examples and I think from, from our perspective, what, what you've been doing at Hinkley Point C has, has really been leading the way, uh, particularly around your use of data. And I guess, Alpesh, um, just a final thought from you. Um, what can organisations do to understand their supply chain better through data and through information capturing? Yeah, I think there's a, a, a few lessons that to be to be learned, right? And and really just picking up on on Sean's point about innovation, I think hand in hand with innovation is a, a much more increased prevalence of collaboration. I, I think people are recognizing, you know, at times of crisis, you sort of all come together to try and help each other out a little bit. There's always a bit of that sentiment. Um, and I think if anything, taking that mentality into the next project before a crisis has turned up to say, how can we be more collaborative? What should we be having more visibility of across our organization so that mutually we are more assured that we're going to deliver and uh, for, for each other, I think is a, a mindset that's really important. And that, that might manifest itself as greater data sharing, greater transparency, but I think that's really, really important. 
Um, in, in addition, I, I, I made this point earlier as well, which is that I think there's a lot that people can understand about their supply chains just from the wealth of data that will exist around around those supply chains. And, and the number of organizations, I think, that haven't tapped into that data to then deliver the, 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 the leading or the predictive analysis and the scenario modeling that Neil was talking about earlier, um, I think there's an opportunity to start, start doing that. But you've got to get that in place before the crisis hits, before the next issue sort of hits. So think about it up front. Um, and, and finally, just reiterating the point I made before that, you know, you, you can't foresee every black swan event. There's no point in, I think, trying to do so. I think it's much more important to think about the consequences of those extreme events and building resilience around those consequences, because that's how you're going to become a much more resilient, robust organization. Well, I think that's a great place to leave today's discussion. My thanks to Neil, Alpes and Sean for their chat and insight. And thank you all for listening. We will be back again soon for more episodes. But in the meantime, we have a healthy back catalogue of podcasts online. So please do check them out. Please subscribe to the series to get all the latest episodes. And please don't forget to rate and review. So until next time, thank you all for listening.